0: Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Monica D. Rida, a law student at Marquette University Law School. We will discuss their article, You Must Roll 18 or Higher for Your Claims to Succeed, Common Law Trademarks, Unauthorized Merchandise, and the podcast, The Adventure Zone. So welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you. I was unfamiliar with this this program that you talked about uh, before reading your paper, uh, which by the way, I really enjoyed really fun paper and really interesting and thoughtful kind of look at how trademark protection works in the context of, of podcasting. Uh, but so for readers who are like li- listeners who are like me, who might not already be familiar with the program in question, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what the adventure zone and what the related programs you talk about are. In other words, kind of who produces these shows and what makes them distinctive or special? Uh,
1: well, the adventure zone is hosted by, uh, three brothers, uh, Justin Travis and Griffin McElroy and in 2010 they started a podcast called My Brother My Brother and Me and this that podcast took off and uh from there they started several other podcasts one's an advice show another one is about the history of medicine uh and Actually, as a spinoff from My Brother, My Brother, and Me, they started this podcast, The Adventure Zone. And The Adventure Zone is a podcast where they play tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, which is what they do for the first story uh, of the podcast. Uh, And they play these over audio with their father, Clint. And uh, it's just... Them recording themselves playing a role playing game, that's the podcast, uh, and it's become incredibly successful. Uh, if you look at the very you know scientific metrics of how many people follow the subreddit for it, how many people are in the unofficial Facebook groups, how many people like the Facebook pages, there are actually more people that engage with those social media sites for the Adventure Zone than there are for My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Uh, And subsequent to this podcast being successful, uh, the McElroys have gotten a book contract. Uh, There has been a licensed role-playing game, which I find to be very meta, uh, based off of the uh, podcast. And um, there's also a TV adaptation of the podcast in production for the platform Peacock. Uh, Whether or not that'll get people to sign up for Peacock is another issue. Um, And the graphic novel adaptation actually was the first graphic novel uh, to reach the top of the New York Times bestsellers list. Not the graphic novel bestsellers list, but the general bestsellers list. Um, Although subsequent to in the past 24 hours, there has actually been a, a new controversy that's come out about the graphic novel and about artist compensation that we can possibly talk about.
0: Well, so Monica, I mean, I, I take it that you're a uh, a listener to the podcast and a consumer of the related merchandise and whatnot that that you're talking about. I wonder if you could say a little. I actually am not. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, so from an outsider's perspective then, what is it about the podcast and about the work that the brothers do on the podcast along with their father that that makes it distinctive? Like, As far as you can kind of suss it out from your research that you've done, what does it seem like are the most distinctive or the most popular elements of the show?
1: I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast are drawn to the characters that the brothers and their father have created. Um, and I did, I will clarify that I did listen to episodes of the podcast uh, for my research, but generally, and I do own a, a fan art print uh, that was referenced in my paper, but uh, <laughs> it's not something that I would ever voluntarily listen to. I'll say that. Um but I do think that a lot of people, and this is very much reflected in the fan art is they're attracted to the characters. Um, in particular, uh, the podcast has become very popular among, uh, LGBT fans. And it's been praised in fact, for its representation of LGBT characters, um, in both, uh, the two main story plots, uh, balance and amnesty, uh, both have at least one LGBT character. Um, one of whom is a gender non-conforming elfin wizard named Taco. Uh, and the other one is a bisexual, uh, um, uh, black Puerto Rican, uh, woman named Aubrey Little, who is able to make fire appear. Um, Although my thoughts on the fact that a straight white cis man is playing as Aubrey is a topic for another discussion. So I think that there's a sense of humor as well, that really just clicks with the listeners. And I think that's also why the McElroys are popular in general is that they have a humor that makes them very endearing to their fans. Uh, That's not my sense of humor. I have listened to audio clips and i don't understand what is appealing about it, but also I'm the person who laughed hysterically reading uh, Justice Posner opinion on bedbugs at a Motel 6. Um, so my, my sense of humor is a little bizarre. <laughs> uh, so I... I think that's what endears them. And when I've spoken to fans of their podcasts, I've asked, why do you like this? And the general response is they're wholesome. And it's actually, there's been some conversation about the fact that, especially I think right now, I think, especially with the current political administration, there's the sense of like, we're supporting Everyone, we are going to try to avoid uh, issues that deal with bigotry. Um, And I think that it's kind of, it's like, I I hate using the term safe space because that's become a whistle for people in certain political alignments. Uh, But I think it is kind of this audio safe space for fans of the podcast. And I think that particularly right now, that is very soothing.
0: I I will say it's unusual for people to do scholarship on pop culture phenomenon, uh, of which they are not themselves a big fan. Um, So I'm really fascinated to know sort of what drew your attention to this particular podcast as a scholar? And why did you think it was a good vehicle for some of the ideas about trademark law that you wanted to discuss in your paper.
1: So initially this paper was actually going to be about, uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress. Uh, and I was very interested in writing about that and writing about, uh, how it, um, appears in Facebook fan groups for podcasts, because that is actually a phenomenon that has even been written about in the New York times. Uh, So that's initially what I wanted to write this paper on. And I kept doing kind of preliminary research because at Marquette, we are able to do independent research. uh, And my torts professor, my 1L year, said, oh, you can do independent research, except that was my first semester of my 1L. And he said, but not right now. Uh, So... I was doing this preliminary research and I kept finding these interesting things pop up with the McElroys. And one of them did involve this question of IIED with Facebook fan groups. Um, But the thing that particularly stood out to me is the fact that the McElroys have explicitly said they don't want fans to create art and then sell it. And I did some more digging to try to figure out if that's something other podcast hosts have said. And in general, podcast hosts seem to love fan art. Some of them have even, if they find like, let's say a cross stitch pattern on Etsy that has their podcasts catchphrase on it. It's, Oh my God, we love this. We love our fans. Here's the link. Yay. Um, And so it struck me as very odd that the McElroy's would take this active stance. And so then I did even more digging and I found out that uh, this stance of please do not profit off of RIP is what is something that if you go onto the Facebook fan groups, they tell you like you will be like, Suspended from the group if you post someone's unauthorized merchandise. Uh, And I thought that was just very striking. Um, So I had all like about five different legal issues to talk about. I uh, went to um, Professor Bruce Boyden at Marquette University Law School and I asked, hi, I have these five different legal issues. What should I write about? And he said, you have five different papers here, figure out what to write about. And I did some digging and then we settled on trademark law. Uh, and it is because a lot of those elements the McElroy's have used in some way, shape or form to advertise live shows uh, or they've used them as elements that are sold on their official merch Uh And I thought trademark law compared to copyright law was going to work the best with what I was examining.
0: So what reason do the McElroys give for objecting to fan art? I mean, as you say, it seems like a kind of unusual position. Do they explain why they don't want people to make and especially sell fan art and to the extent that they've explained what they do and don't want their fans to do, uh, are the ways that their wishes are interpreted and enforced by the fans running these websites like consistent with what the McElroys are actually asking for? In some respects, I got the impression that maybe the fans are even more... Um, are more aggressive about uh, uh, enforcing some of these restrictions than the McElroys themselves might be.
1: The McElroys really haven't explained other than kind of this sense of, Hey, not cool. It, It almost reads like, if you really love our podcast, you'll stop selling merch based off of it. And that's not really a great explanation. Um, I'm going to use this as a hypothetical because I know another very popular podcast is framing a lot of its uh, different revenue sources as because of COVID-19, please give money to our Patreon. So if this was a request that came up this year and it was because of COVID-19, here's where we usually get our revenue and that's been cut into, please do not cut into that further by selling this merch. maybe understand but it's just hey we don't like people selling merch the interesting thing is is that uh, Justin McElroy has at least hinted on Twitter that one-offs or commissions uh, and it's specifically commissions so if you go to an artist who says hey if you tell me you want this drawing it'll cost this much and I'll draw it for you so he has at least implied on Twitter that those are okay because they are one-offs. And that seems to be the only way that they give any leniency on this issue. Uh, which, as you said, uh, it does seem that the fans seem to take this harsher. Um, uh there's one Facebook group where it says that uh, you can't even, if someone posts an image of fan art, you can't even ask a fan, hey, what's your going rate? Which would be how you would kind of solicit someone for to do a commission. So the fans seem to interpret it as all sales are bad. Um, while there are some examples and the uh, um, print that I referenced that I own as a result of working on this paper Uh, it was one of a kind only one made bought off of Etsy and the exception that has been hinted at would say that that is a permissible a permissible item that has been sold Um, but in the eyes of the fans they would it seems like that would be viewed as you're profiting off of the McElroy's You're horrible. Please die. (laughs) And given the attitude of the fans, I think that would actually be the uh, wording here.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe you could dig a little bit uh, deeper with more specificity into the particular kinds of marks or other elements that they might be claiming some kind of trademark interest in. Like, to the extent fans might be interested in merchandise or fan art related to the podcast? What kinds of things might they be interested in? And, you know, are there aspects that you think are more or less likely to be, um, to be qualified for, for trademark protection?
1: Well, the first thing, and I did talk about what I think is the uh, why people are drawn to this are the characters And the McElroy's have, as a result of the graphic novel, there is kind of this official, although I'll elaborate a little bit more on that later, uh, way to depict the characters. And when you look at posters for their live shows, it won't be exactly the same way that those characters are drawn in the graphic novels but it still has the same elements Uh, Taco's skin for example is green and he's wearing purple Uh, Merle's beard uh, Merle who is this uh, dwarf uh, cleric looks pretty much the same Um, and so there is this uh, very distinctive way that they portray those characters Um, and those characters are often used in fan art, and if you go to various websites, you will find uh, both fan art that fans have created, and then also fan art fans have are then selling. Um, and characters are granted protection. Uh, I talk about in my article on uh, the case of Brown versus Its Entertainment, where the author Mark Brown sued someone uh, who made an unlicensed Arthur costume and tr- was renting it out to people. And uh, the decision there is because Arthur is, and it's going to be one of those phrases that never escapes my mind, a schoolboy dressed as an, an Aardvark dressed as a schoolboy. Uh, he is an arbitrary or fanciful uh, character and therefore gets protection under the Lanham Act. Uh, and by kind of virtue of the fact that this is very much a fantasy podcast, I think you can say that a lot of these characters are fanciful or arbitrary. Um, And some of the characters are a little more distinctive. uh, In the Amnesty plot, uh, one of the characters uh, is described by Clint McElroy as he looks like the actor Brian Blessed, I don't know about you, I don't know about other listeners, but I know what the actor Brian Blessed looks like. So when I listen to it, I have this very clear distinct image in my head of what this character looks like. Um, and But then if you look at Taco, for example, there's like a million different ways fans have interpreted Taco. Uh, I have actually joked that there's a sticker that I received um, that It has a very fashionable elfin wizard. Uh, And in my head, I saw this and I thought, oh, it's Taco. Well, the problem is, is that the McElroy's have officially said, (laughs) there is no official way to interpret their characters. And so the McElroy's have said, please don't profit off of our IP. And then have turned and said, Well, there's no correct way to depict our characters. And so the idea of having something distinctive about any of these characters goes flying out the window. Because those elements that they have established are there for every single character, be it, you know, like the color of Taco's skin or the character of Merle has a wooden arm. That doesn't matter because they've said there's no official way to depict the characters. There's no one right way. Um, and so as a result, a joke that the sticker that I have, it is merely suggestive of taco. Uh, and that really you could just say it's a fashionable wizard. Um, so there's that. There's also that there are some elements in the podcast that kind of have a very important role in the storytelling. Uh, and there have been, uh, quite a few cases, mostly from, uh, circuit courts and also some district courts, uh, and also I uh, discussed an Australian case as well that says that if an element appears in a majority of episodes, um, which I think is a very good standard considering that podcasts are very episodic by nature, um, you, they can be granted protection. And so I go and I examine that there are some elements that I think should be granted protection. Um, I bring up that in Amnesty, uh, that there's a business that is run by one of the characters uh, called the Cryptonomica. And it appears in a majority of the episodes. And it is very much tied to how the characters evolve. It is very much tied to the theme and the setting of the storyline. And I argue that the cryptonomica should be argued as, should be viewed as a protectable mark. Um, And they have like, you can go onto the McElroy's website and you can buy a sticker that says, where the heck is the cryptonomica? Uh, So I think that should be granted protection, but the McElroy's also have things from balance, which is their most popular storyline. It's the one that has gotten a graphic novel adaptation, as well as a possible television adaptation, television with loose air quotes around it, given that it's on Peacock of all things. Uh, And It is a lot of those elements I don't think should be granted protection. One of them is taco has an enchanted purple umbrella. Well, most of the time it just looks like a purple umbrella. So the art possible problem is if you say, well, here's this purple umbrella, it should be protected. What is this saying about purple umbrellas in general? Um, and I think that is possibly dangerous. And also, if you get into a secondary uh, meaning, I think that it only has a secondary meaning among fans. And I think that is even like more narrow of an interpretation than courts have previously examined with secondary meanings. Um, the other one is that one of the characters carries around an extreme teen Bible. And hilariously, that is something that is a real-life thing published by a division of HarperCollins in 1999. And I would like to think that if the McElroys sued someone for selling an extreme teen Bible pin on Etsy, that they would file a claim and Harper Collins would have fast-witted enough attorneys that they would maybe say, hey, we published the Extreme Teen Bible first. What are you doing? Um, So I think it is very complicated. And my general stance from a lot of this, minus the fact that the McElroys have said, our characters, there's no correct way to depict our characters. Uh, I think that generally a lot of the things that could be Protected as marks come from their second series and possibly also their third, which I'll admit I haven't listened to. It's called Graduation, it is still in production right now. Um, and I do find it very interesting that as the show has progressed, there are more distinctive marks. Um, I'm going to try to not read too much into that, but.
0: Well, so I, I wonder if, on your reading anyway, there are elements that the McElroys are actively currently using as marks, uh, and and maybe even commercializing. It sounds like, or and, and are there elements they aren't? Right? I mean, like looking at what they're actually doing and how they're using the various characters and themes in the program. Are there aspects that you think? Are kind of actively being used to convey distinctive information about the show and associations with the show to consumers? And maybe are there elements that aren't being used in that
1: way? I think they are definitely doing that. Um, I don't particularly discuss it uh, in the paper because I didn't feel like discussing a distinctive mark and. Inserting a graphic into the paper, uh, but there's this symbol for a place in the balance series called the Bureau of Balance, and it looks like two like triangular bees, kind of one flipped on the other side, and they're kind of up next to each other. Uh, I've done a horrible job of explaining it on the most visual of mediums, uh, podcasting. Um, And that is often used as kind of a symbol of the podcast. And it's very interesting that even though it is called the adventure zone and there's this very clear font that they use for the logo that I think has also become kind of a mark in and of itself. And they do put that on merch and it does pop up in, uh, things like, uh, posters for live shows. Um, they definitely do use, uh, the characters of Merle Magnus and taco uh, from balance to advertise the show. Um, And I think it's also very interesting that they still use those characters to advertise the show long after they stopped doing it and they moved on to amnesty and graduation. Um, So I think they are doing that. Uh, I think it's actually quite interesting because there are even some things that it feels like the McElroys are now, Coming around to in terms of using as marks. Um, the character of Taco, as far as I know, only says it once in the series, but it became quite popular with the fans. And he yells at a character, Abraka, fuck you. And that's become a popular thing for fans to put on like embroidery or on keychains or pins and stickers and stuff like that. And it's very interesting because the fans have been using the, putting this on things and selling it for a long time. The macro was only in the past year started selling merch that has that on it. Um, So it almost seems that in some ways that they're picking up on what their fans are using as marks and then turning them into marks in and of itself. Um, Which, again, I don't have insight as to why that is, but I do think it's very interesting. Um, I also think it's very interesting that the McElroys did not have a real merch store until 2018, uh, given that they were podcasting since 2010. Um, So there is a part of me that I do wonder if they created this problem for themselves.
0: Well, so, Monica, in closing, you mentioned earlier that there's a new controversy that's sprung up around the program very recently. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and the extent to which you think it kind of intersects with some of the ideas that you're talking about in your paper.
1: Uh, certainly. Um, the uh, It came out yesterday that uh, artists who did uh drawings that are included in the back of the graphic novel adaptation of the adventure zone uh, and these are not this is not the person who does the drawings for the graphic novel these are artists who have like one full page piece of art at the end um, it came out that they were only paid a hundred dollars for their artwork um, and uh, that they were also put into a three-year-long exclusivity clause in their contract. Um, the and I found out about this last night because apparently, even though this article has not been published, I have written myself into a corner as the expert on the McElroy's and the law, uh, which is hilarious since I don't like their podcasts. Um, But uh, the McElroys have already said we're going to pay the artists an additional five hundred dollars, and we're going to try to make sure that future artists aren't put into this three-year-long exclusivity clause. Um, And it is very interesting because the McElroys have said you can't make money off of art tied to our podcast. Um, But I own a piece of fan art that I bought off of Etsy, that's one of a kind, and it cost $50. So I think of it as, if that artist sells two Adventure Zone prints, that artist has made the same amount of money as the people who have contributed to this wildly successful graphic novel. And so when you're going out there, and something that I do discuss in my article is that I think that what the McElroy's are trying to do and I think that even though there is a little bit of a hinting that Justin at least understands that there are some differences between certain artists versus people who, you know, throw together some words and make some cheap pins. Uh, I worry that that is harmful for kind of the artistic ecosystem. And I kind of hate that I just said that, but let's roll with it. Uh, I think that it's bad to say lump all of these artists in because I think even if someone is making something like a wood pin that says, and I'm going to throw this out there, a wood pin that says Abraca, fuck you, that they hand paint, but it's made, you know, they only have a limited amount. I think that person has brought something in, that it has more artistic merit than someone who you know throws together some words and makes a cheap sticker or a pin that you can get printed on demand. And I think it's also very interesting because the Maclaurists have made it very clear, we don't want you profiting off of what we've created. And so by asking these artists to contribute art to the graphic novels, that kind of was the only way to legitimize what these artists were doing and it comes out that these guys who have a reputation of being these sweet wholesome guys uh i last night i was texting with someone who's a fan of the podcast and he asked me about it and he said, But the McElroy's fixed it, so they're still the good guys. And I just sat there and thought, I have to suss out all of the legal implications of this first and I'll get back to you, but I know it's not going to matter. Because um, the McElroy's are perfect, flawless human beings. The problem is, is that the McElroy's are human. And like a lot of other people in the past decade, they created a podcast and. They've found this fame. I don't think any of them could have dreamed of. And they're having to navigate that. And I'm not going to say that it's the fault of the McElroys that the artists that were published are in this three-year exclusivity clause or that they were paid $100 because that probably is tied to the publisher. Publishing is an entirely different game. uh, But they're still trying to navigate everything that comes with this fame. And I think that them trying to protect their creation by saying, please don't profit off of our intellectual property. Um, stems from this desire to create this thing that they've created. And what I'm mostly concerned about with all of this is that there's going to be this clash with podcast creators, with fans and, some of them may experience some blowback. I'm actually quite surprised that, given how people have reacted to Taylor Swift saying, please don't profit off of you know my lyrics, um, that that hasn't happened with the McElroys. So I think that this is the one legitimate way that fans can essentially make money off, off of their art. And as far as I'm concerned, it's highway robbery. I know how much I've been paid for writing about the coffee industry, and it was more than these artists have been paid for contributing to a New York Times best-selling graphic novel. Um, I think that there might be some new discussions about this relationship between fans and podcast creators, and who makes money, and how people get to make money. So I'll be very curious to see how this all works out. Um, I'm also curious to see if this contract gets taken to court to be voided on the exclusivity clause. I know that's what everyone is excited about, exclusivity clauses, but hey...
0: Well, Monica, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk about your thoughtful and very timely paper. Um, I, I learned a lot from it, and I really enjoyed talking to you about it.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Welcome to the d World.